right, so we are in John chapter 4. We're progressing along. And this particular um, passage is on the woman at the well. And as we look at this today, I want you to think about where you're headed. Where are you headed? Where are you going in life? Because sometimes we can take the easy way. Take kind of the way around so that we don't have to run into people. Anybody ever do that? You know, you, you work in, maybe you work in a plant or you work in an office and there's that certain person. You ever had that certain person that you're kind of like going, I don't have the energy today. I don't have the energy today to do this. And so you, you, you take the long way around to get to where you want to go so you, so you don't have to go by that person. We can have days like that. But I, this is an interesting passage. And so let's turn to uh, John chapter 4. And we're going to read, start out with verses 1 through 6. And therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, or it was about noon. One of the things that I, that I love about this is it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, if, if, if we know anything about uh, what, what's happening here, we'll look at a map in just a second. But who were these Samaritans? So Samaria is kind of right in the middle. If you, if you have Galilee up here and you have Jerusalem down here, Samaria's right in the middle. Now, why is that important, though? Because Samaria was the capital of the tribes that that rejected God. Remember, we had we had the tribes of Judah and Benjamin that that were loyal to David and and stayed. That's where the temple was, and they said we're going to be loyal to David. And the other ten tribes split, and they made their capital Shechem. And Shechem is uh, Sychar that it talks about here is just a little village right outside of Shechem. And Shechem became the capital of Samaria. And that's where Jesus is in this, in this narrative. And these were the people that had rejected God as being the leader of the nation of Israel. And they, started, they actually built their own temple there for people to come and worship. The ten tribes could come and worship at Shechem. And God didn't like that at all because in, in 733 uh, B.C. He sent the Assyrians to destroy it all. 
And they hauled all the people off, and they brought all these foreigners in to settle in Shechem, to settle in Samaria. And the Samaritans that were left, the, the, the people that were, the, the Jewish people, began to intermarry with all of these foreigners. They began to take the gods that all these foreigners brought in, and they kind of mingled it with, with Judaism. And they just ended up with this mess of a religion. And the Jews and the Samaritans really despised each other. Because the Jewish people were down here in Jerusalem saying, no, this is the temple. This is where you worship. We got it all right. You guys got it all wrong. And the Samaritans were saying, we are the sons of Jacob. You can't deny us. And so we had this, had this conflict that was going on. Now, as you look at this map, you'll see Jerusalem down at the bottom. And the Jewish people would generally take one or two routes to go north. Or if they were in the north and they were coming to Jerusalem, either they would go to the east side of the Jordan River and they'd go up that side and then when they got all the way north uh, on the other side, the north side of, of, of Samaria, they would come back in, cross the river, come back in. Or they would go up the coastline and come around. And where you see, uh, where you see Shechem, that's where Jacob's well is, right there in the middle. And of course, the obvious way to go, right? Right up I-5. Straight up through the mountains, right oh, straight up. That was, and that's the way that Jesus said he had to go. And sometimes as we we think about what we what we want to do, we want to take the easy way. We don't want conflict. We don't want people looking at us like because everybody, you know, when they were coming up through. It was pretty easy to see by the way they dressed, by the way they talked, that they were, they were from Jerusalem. You know, and you, you've met people, right? They come from a certain part of the country, and you say, oh, you're from. <laughs> we don't have an accent in Oregon, do we? No, not at all. Until you go to Arkansas or Kentucky, and then they look at you and say, oh, you're one of those left coast people. I mean, West Coast. You know, we can tell people by where they come from, and that's the same thing that was happening here. And Jesus said, I have to go. You have to understand, disciples. That's where I need to go because there's somebody there I have to meet. There's a woman there that needs Jesus, and she is going to be the key to all the people that live in Shechem. I've got to go. And I think sometimes we need to kind of pull our bootstraps up a little bit and say, you know what, this is hard. But that person, that person, even though they may have animosity against me, even though they don't like who I am because I'm a Christian, I need to go there 
because they need Jesus. And they may not even know it yet. But we have to go where God calls us to. And Jesus said, I have to go. The second thing I want you to see out of this part of the passage is that Jesus got tired. Jesus got tired. It says he was weary. And he sat down by the well in the middle of the day. Doesn't that give you a little bit of comfort when you get tired? Do you ever get tired in ministry? Oh, no, right? Not me. I'm the Energizer Bunny. Do you ever get discouraged, right? Jesus got tired. Matter of fact, uh, there's several passages in Luke 8. They had been ministering, and they, they got out in the boat, and in 8.23, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And the fierce of the gale wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. And where's Jesus? He's asleep. He was weary. He was tired. Ministry is hard. And we need to, to realize it's okay to take a break. It's okay to rest. I mean, Jesus tells his disciples on a number of occasions, come on guys, I'm going to take you up here in the wilderness, uh, uh, up in the mountain, and let you rest for a while. In, uh, in Luke 4, uh, 2, it says Jesus was hungry. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when it was ended, he became hungry. Jesus understands the struggles we go through. I mean, anybody ever, ever go on a diet? Oh, not, nobody, right? <laughs> you know, and you're like going, okay, hey, more, here, uh, two more hours and I can have some more celery sticks. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry. And, and, and so I, I can't pray to Jesus about my diet. Oh, he understands, right? And in John 11, he understands our tears. He understands grief. When Jesus, therefore, and so to set the stage, this is Lazarus has died. And he's come to his two sisters, Martha and Mary, and he's met them outside of the tomb. And it says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. You see, sometimes we, we, we think, oh, we have to be strong because we're Christians and we know that our loved one is in heaven. And so we can't cry. Well, I got news for you. Jesus did. I mean, tears are our way of not exploding. We need to be able to let our grief out. And if Jesus, the Son of God, 
needed to weep at the death of his friend, how much more should we be able to say, it's okay when we grieve because my Jesus felt grief. My Jesus knew what it was like. As a matter of fact, Philippians tells us he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in likeness of men, being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Does Jesus know how hard it is to love the unlovable? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus has experienced everything, every emotion, everything when we, when we think, oh God, I can't do it any longer. Absolutely, we can't, because we need our Savior who says, I have been there. Let me take it on for you. And he will. Jesus got tired. Jesus was in an area that he knew that he was going to be opposed because they were Samaritans. But he had to go there to meet a woman. So let's look at John 7 through 26, as he encounters the Samaritan woman. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. But his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me a drink? Since I am a Samaritan woman, for Jews had no dealings with the Samaritan. And Jesus answered her and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw draw with and the well is deep where then do you get this living water you are not greater than my father Jacob are you who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle and Jesus answered and said to her everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all this way out here to draw. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. 
for you have had five husbands, and the one, the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said, and the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on the mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in the mountain, in this mountain, or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow, what an amazing intercourse between these two people. The Jew and the Samaritan woman. The woman who was living with somebody who wasn't even her husband. The woman who had, her life was in such a shambles that she couldn't even hold a marriage together. She was despised by the women of the city. That's why she was there at noon. When do, when do the people in the, the, the Arabic countries gather water? Anybody know? In the morning or, or late at night? I've been, to, I've been to Southern Africa many times, several times, I should say, not many times. And, and I've watched these people, a lot of times it's four and five miles that they have to go to get water. And they'll, they'll come with their, usually these days, it's a, it's a five-gallon plastic bucket. And they, they'll fill it up with water and they'll put it on their heads and they'll walk back. And they go very early in the morning because by noon, it's too hot. And they can't travel that far. But this woman couldn't go in the morning. Because all the women of, of, of Shechem, all the women of her village, despised her. They would shun her when she came in the, if she tried to come in the morning. And so here she is at noonday. And she encounters Jesus. She knows he's a Jew by the way he dresses, by the way he talks, his accent. And Jesus just makes a simple request. Give me a drink. And she launches on him. If you, if you look at the phrasing of what she's saying, she, I'm a Samaritan woman. And you're asking me for a drink, you Jew? Oh, I mean, it's just coming out of her pores as she looks at him. <laughs> and then Jesus does a very interesting thing. He could have said, well, do you know who I am? I am the Son of God. 
He doesn't. He appeals to her curiosity. Isn't that interesting? If you knew who, who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Living water. What's this living water? You know, some of the times when, when we are sharing with people, <coughs> when we share with people the gospel and they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit taken, they're abrasive. I don't want to hear about your gospel. I don't need your gospel. Sometimes we just need to appeal to their curiosity. That's what Jesus did. Hey, I mean, haven't you ever thought about heaven? What would you say if you got to heaven and said, God, why should you let me into your kingdom? Appealing to that curiosity, and that's what he did. Jesus appeals to her curiosity. And she, she once again, she's not done yet. We're the descendants of Jacob's. This is Jacob's well that you're sitting at, and we drink from Jacob's well. As she looks, but then she said, well, what's in it for me? <laughs> you ever had anybody do that to you? Well, what's in it for me? Those churches, they just want to take your money. Those churches, they just want you to, 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 to come in to make, to make people feel well, feel good about themselves. What's in it for me? <laughs> what does she say? Oh, I would like some of this water. Because then I wouldn't have to come all the way out here at noonday to get water. What's in it for me? And Jesus looks at her and he understands that her biggest problem is not physical thirst. What is it? It's sin. Go call your husband. Hmm. Jesus knew what was behind all that. Go call your husband. And, and how did she respond? What was the first answer she gave? She tried to hide her sin. I don't have a husband. Well, that was true. She divorced, divorced the first five. And she was kind of done with marriage. That sound familiar? In this day and age? Let's just live together. That, that marriage thing has never worked for me, so I, let's just live together. And so she hides her sin. And Jesus says, well, you did answer right. Because you are correct. Because the one who you live with is not currently your husband. And you had five before that. And so instead of saying, oh, Lord, please help me for my sin. Please help me with all of this that I've gone through. What does he say? What does she say? She diverts once again. Because John says, in 1 John 1, 8, it says, if we say that we have no sin, what? We're deceiving ourselves. And Jesus could see that she was deceiving herself. And the woman then does what? She tries to deflect from her sin. And have, when you witness to people... Well, I don't go to church because. Uh, and what's the first, number one answer? 
They're all hypocrites. They live one way. When the Bible says to go another way, well, there are no perfect churches. Our church isn't perfect. I can tell you, you don't have a perfect pastor. We've all sinned. But she doesn't want to admit that, so she deflects. And she tries to get into this theological conversation. Well, you worship in Jerusalem. We worship in Samaria. Which one is the right place to worship? And Jesus says, you know, that's kind of a moot point. Because anytime you're witnessing with somebody and they try to get off over here onto some theological problem or or. Or, you know, oh, well, you know, the Bible has contradictions and and it's easy to get into those. But what does Jesus do? He just keeps pointing her back. He He says, one day it won't matter. It won't be this mountain that we're sitting on and it won't be Jerusalem because one day we will worship in what? Spirit and truth. And who's the truth? Jesus, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus points her back to himself. He points her to the truth. He says, religion isn't the problem. Relationship is the problem. You see, you, you don't understand what the truth is. And if you don't understand truth, if you don't understand who Jesus is, you won't interact with him. And she gets it. She's like going, wow, you're a prophet. You're, you're the, are you the Messiah? The one who would come? The one that we... See all through the Old Testament, the Messiah, you're him? And she says, oh, wow. Aha. You ever have the aha moment? You know, I, I was in church all my life. Until one day on the field and at, at Memorial Stadium, I had the aha moment. Religion isn't what it's all about. It's about the relationship with Jesus Christ. I had to move Jesus from up here to down here. I had to follow him as not just Savior, but as Lord of my life and say, God, I want you to change me. And this woman realized thirst was not her problem. Sin was her problem. She turns and she says she was in such a hurry she left her pot. Didn't even fill it up with water. Now that's, that's a big problem if you're, if you're thirsty, isn't it? She left her pot there and she goes off and then the disciples come. Now this is kind of an interesting little interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. So look at verse 27 through 38. At this point, the disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, 
what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city to, and, and said to the men, and we'll come back to that in a minute, come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Remember, they'd gone into the city to get food for lunch. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Did anybody sneak off early and bring him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say that there is yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for his life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that which you have not labored, Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So I want you to get the picture here, all right? Uh, most people will tell you, most theologians will tell you, this is in December. If you follow the timeline of John, this is in December. And in Israel, in December, is shortly after planting season. So they've planted the, the rains have come, and they have a sprout. You know what it's like around here when we're going to pretty soon, we're going to hit uh, May, and you're going to be driving out through the fields, and they're, they're just going to be coming up. No heads on the wheat, no heads on the, on the rye grass, but that nice sprout is coming up, and that's what he was seeing. He says it's, it's four months till the harvest, because we all know when harvest hits, right? <laughs> the dust is in the air, along with all the pollen. <laughs> we know what harvest looks like. I mean, I love going out through, driving up through, uh, when, I, when I go rafting and, and over in central Oregon, you drive up through Morrow County and you see miles and miles of wheat in, in September, or I mean in July and August, and, as far as the eye can see, the, the grain is just full head and it's just waving in the wind. It's beautiful. But that time hadn't come yet. You see, what had happened? Where did she go? Did she go back and tell all the women? No, the women despised her. She was the woman, she was the husband stealer. She was the one who was breaking up marriages. They would have nothing to do with her. So where did she go? She went to the men. And five of those men would be ex-husbands. And she said, I have met the Messiah. Nobody could tell me these things except him. And they had come out of the city and they were coming across the plain up to where 
Jesus was sitting with the disciples at the well. So when Jesus says the field is white in the harvest, what is he talking about? All of those white turbaned men walking across the road, up the road towards the well. And he says, don't think it's four months to the harvest. The harvest is coming now. It's white unto harvest. Look, guys. You see, the problem with the disciples is they had stopped looking for the lost. Does that sound familiar? Have we stopped looking for the lost? And Jesus said, it's white unto harvest. He said, guys, listen. All of these men are going to come out here to this well and they're going to want to hear who I am. And yes, I will speak to them, but you guys are the ones who are going to weep. You're the ones, you're the laborers because I, I got news for you. People don't come to Jesus in a group. People come to Jesus one by one and he says, your job now is to take each one of these Samaritans whom you abhor and to show them the way to me. He looks at them. He says, open your eyes and see the harvest. In Romans 10, it tells us what? And how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe on him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And I, and I got news for you. When, Jesus, when Paul talks about the preacher here, he's not talking about me. He's talking about each and every one of us. You see, we're all called to share with those around us. We're all called to be the preacher. We're all sent, aren't we? Isn't that what Jesus said? While you are going, make disciples. Everywhere we go. And then I love that last bit. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. I've got good news. Wow. Those feet ought to be dancing. We've got good news of good things. And how beautiful, beautiful that is. You see, the disciples had lost the vision of lost people. And Jesus had to remind them, and he reminds us today, when we walk out of these doors today, you're going to walk by people. You're going to meet them in the, in the grocery store. You're going to meet them. You're going to meet them in the theater, Don. <laughs> All right? We went to see Fiddler on the Roof last night. I love going places with Don. He's never met a stranger sitting next to this young mother and her, her daughter. And, and, of course, Don, we had a half hour before the show started. And, boy, Don just, <laughs> we knew her life story before the show started. But, you know, that's 
the way the world. They're right next to us. They sit next to us on the airplane. They, they're, they're people we meet in the street. They're our barista. They are who, wherever you go, I guarantee you that there's somebody that needs to know about Jesus. And, and sometimes all we have to do is say, you know, be kind. Hey, you looks like you're having a bad day. Can I pray for you? You know, I have never, I, I, I have done that many times. I've never had anybody say, no, I don't want you to pray for me. And you're like, but how, how many times do we do it? We, 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 oh, I don't want to throw my spirituality on them. I don't want them to think I'm odd. Well, Jesus said, look, it's white unto harvest. Well, let's look at the final, final part of this story with these Samaritans, 39 to 42. From the city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all of these things I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed of his word because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. Wow. This woman goes back, tells these men, and they come out, and they, they, they are so enthralled with, with what has happened with this woman. This morning in my devotional study, I was reading about the, the man who had demons and their name was Legion, and, he, and Jesus cast out 2,000 demons out of him, and they went into the pigs and ran down to the sea, and it said that when the people from the town heard all the commotion and they came out, they saw the man who, was, who, was the, who had been filled with demons sitting in his right mind and clothed, and they marveled. And this man said, Jesus, let me come with you. I, he, they were getting ready to leave. And he says, no, you go back to your home and tell everybody what's happened. And you see, that's how it first began in Samaria. She went back and she told her story. But she didn't know much about this Jesus. She had just met him. And so she brought them all, hand in hand and brought them to the Savior. And as they heard him, they say, will you stay with us two days? Where was Jesus headed? Galilee. He, wasn't, he didn't plan to stay in Samaria. He had sent the disciples in to get lunch so that they could go on. I mean, they hit the Carl's Jr. drive-through. Who wants to, you know, I used to drive from, from here to Lynchburg, Virginia, to go to school. 3,000 miles. It would take me 55 hours. And, and I, I lived on chocolate banana milkshakes. 
That was, that was, that was you know, I, I don't know how many of them I would drink in a trip, but there was a lot of them. Jesus was on his way. And they said, wait a second. You need to stop. We need to stay here. And they stayed for two days. And what was the outcome? The outcome was that the men began, they said, it's no longer what you said, it's what he said. God's timing is not always convenient for us. There are times when God says, you know what? I want you to take this route. And then God says, guess what? You're going to stay here for a while. Because there are people who need to be ministered to. And it may not be convenient to your plan. It may not be on your roadmap to life. But God's going to say to you, put the brakes on. Stay here for a while. Because there's ministry to be done. It's not always convenient to do God's work. And the second thing I want you to take out of this is salvation is a personal decision. You see, those men said, oh yeah, we came out to see Jesus because of what you said. Because what Jesus told you. But they said, "What?" as we look at this, for they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. I love to see people who get saved, and they, like, they, they find all of their friends, and they say, listen, I, I don't know how all of this works, but I know somebody who does. And they take them by the hand, and they, they bring them to church, and they'll, they'll go, preacher, you need, to, you need to tell them what you told me. I had a, I had a guy come in, I was preaching, it was up in Portland, and this guy was, his name was Duffy. Duffy was a tire retreader. And he lived in Boise, Idaho. And he would go all over the Northwest picking up tires. And when his truck would get full, he would head it home and, and drop the tires off and he'd start all over again. And one Sunday, the <coughs> Palm Sunday, <coughs> Duffy, Duffy rolled up to our church in Portland. And he said, I don't know why. I, I normally, I, I don't ever do this. But I saw your church and I said, I need to go to church this morning. Duffy came in that morning and I was preaching on the seven things that Jesus said on the cross. And when I got to the invitation, Duffy had sat in the very last pew on this side. And Duffy literally ran down the aisle. And he said, he said, preacher, I've got to know this Jesus. And I led him to the Lord. And I said, Duffy, what are you going to do? He said, well, I live in Boise, Idaho. I said, well, we can give you, uh, I've got connections over into Idaho. I can tell you a couple churches in Boise that would be wonderful churches for you. And I really figured that would be the last time I would see Duffy. Easter Sunday morning, Duffy walks in. And he's got his daughter and his son-in-law and his grandkids with him. 
They had driven all the way from Boise, Idaho to Portland, Oregon. Because he said, I, I, I couldn't trust anybody else because you're the only one that I've ever heard preach this gospel. And I've got to, you've got to share what you told me with them. And that morning, I had the opportunity to lead his, his daughter and his son-in-law and their children to the Lord. And we did. We, find, we got them hooked up into a church in Boise so they wouldn't have to drive all that way. Every, but, you know, sometimes we just have to bring people and say, you need to know who Jesus is because of what he's done for me. But each one of them has to make that personal decision on their own. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. Will, oh, is that what it says? You will be saved. For with the heart the person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. Because really that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's all about showing people who Jesus is. Pointing people to the truth. The living water, as Jesus talks about in this. Bringing people to the place where they can know him personally as Savior. Because that's what the cross was all about, wasn't it? When Jesus was sharing with the disciples communion, it was a personal thing. As he sat there at the table and he says, this is my body, which is broken for who? For you. He didn't say, this is my body, which is broken for the world. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for the remission of sin. Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. It's a personal thing. 